everybody. Welcome to the Alchemist Podcast. Today we have a special guest. Well, one of my best friends is here joining me. His name is Vince Nagandro. Hi, guys. So Vince and I, we started architecture together, but we were never in the same class. However, somehow a lot of our electives are together. So would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, guys. I'm Vince. As Kim said, I study architecture. I'm in my final years of my master's degree. And yeah, we're here to talk about the influence of pop culture, pop culture, <laughs> and their effect on architecture uh, here and for the future. Ah, okay. Thanks for setting the tone for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's okay. That's okay. So as Vince earlier said about pop culture, because the two of us we grew up with Lego, Lego, yeah, definitely, and a lot of toys that somehow has. A slight influence that revolve around sort of buildings and sort of you built it up from scratch and yeah 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 so i'm sure a lot of people would know what lego is but there are toys for anybody really to stack create it's sort of get yeah it's sort of it gives you lego sort of it gives you a manual mm -hmm. to build certain certain buildings or mm. cars or whatever objects mm. And yeah, you start from scratch with one singular block and soon enough, an hour or two later, you have a full-fledged building in front of you. <laughs> Do you remember what was your first Lego? Oh, my first Lego was, oh, definitely. It was the X-Wing from Star Wars. <gasps> but I was only four years old when I got it, so my cousin built it. Oh, cute. But I, I played with it a lot. And one fun thing about it, which kind of maybe got me into architecture, was that I would disassemble it and reassemble it again when I started understanding more about how to read the manual. Oh. So yeah, I quite enjoyed it. So when you say like disassemble and then reassemble, does that mean that you take it apart and then you try and rebuild it from memory? Or do you actually take oh, it all um, to small pieces? I take it all to small pieces and then just read the book and then yeah, reassemble it again. I didn't really actually play with it when it was fully assembled. Like I guess, the commercials would show you how kids would throw around or like yeah. twirl around the, yeah. the toys I would actually just like rebuild it maybe play for it for like maybe five minutes then disassemble it again oh that's so cool because yeah. personally I think my first set of Lego was actually a set of Duplo so my mom loved using her creativity to bring my childhood to life so I grew up in Hong Kong and creativity wasn't a popular method to raise children <laughs> because those who grew up in Hong Kong or had a very similar lifestyle to me would know that it was about arithmetic, English, yeah, the culture maths, was always very scientific technology. Scholarships to yeah, kindergarten. Exactly. <laughs> Creativity wasn't the top priority no. when it gets in. And schools. so, because my mom grew up in Australia, she had a lot of that culture influenced on her growing up. And so, when she was raising me, she would go back to a lot of play school books, a lot of the Wiggles, and then a lot of the DIY books for children. And she would just search and scan whatever she could find and then make toys for me before lego it was one of the toys which resulted in a shoebox car so she <laughs> she attached pins to like paper dishes stuck onto shoebox was because back then when people gave me toys i didn't play with the toys itself i played with boxes the boxes that <laughs> the came packaging in yeah, yeah so the toys felt more like a present for the adults rather for me instead because of my fascination with the blocks and the rectilinearity of things yeah exactly i think that's how duplo came into place i still have that set actually stashed oh, nice. in the study somebody also gave me a huge set of lego pieces and for a while i was really into just building houses which 
I think somehow architecture was embedded in me the whole time, but well, never realized it. I think it's because we always, as a kid, mm-hmm. at, at that height, whatever height it was, mm-hmm. we always see buildings and how grand they were. They were so tall, and mm-hmm. we would always wonder. Like, how does this thing get built? And yeah. for you to then start building these a very small, small scale version of them, yeah. was like a wonderment, you know. So, mm. I think that's what a lot of people liked about Lego and what sort of leaned them towards more of the building. For me, it was always I wanted a dollhouse. So <laughs> yeah, I never had a dollhouse because my apartment could not accommodate that many toys. Literally, my mom said, "Use your imagination," and we had to use Lego to build houses. But it was never those ones that you see three-story dollhouses open <laughs> by yeah, fold doors. Yeah, they fold out. Yeah. I really wanted that, so it was always me trying to use Lego to build things that replicate those moments. Yeah, I know what you mean. And so I think that was useful because afterwards, when I immigrated to Australia, that was the I had a huge time gap where I didn't buy any Lego. Nobody gave me Lego because I was too focused on Barbies, <laughs> <laughs> Barbies and writing stories. And so when I started to get more exposed to the more advanced Lego, so you know, like Bevel, they had the Princess series oh, types, yep. and you've got Bionicle coming out as yeah, well. Yeah, this sort of new type of Lego where it's more like connects. You know those. Ones. Yeah. yeah it's weird shapes and all that kind of stuff where it slots in instead of connects in. Yep. Yeah. And so because Lego now that my imagination was more shaping towards how does people operate in storylines, mm. right? You slowly forget that the structure or the environment plays a crucial role. And I feel like Lego was very clever in the sense that they start to change their people. So model their little human figurines to be more doll-like, so it's a little bit more relatable for me to play in. Oh, okay. How did you feel when you had more advanced Legos being given to you? Oddly enough, I felt more sort of pressure to get it right. Oh. I feel like, especially with the biggest set I got was another X-wing, but this time it was like a one to twenty scale of the X-wing. So this massive X-wing that was probably five hundred centimeters long. I-, I got it when I was twelve years old, and my <laughs> mom gave it to me as a Christmas and birthday present, and it cost uh, like a three-digit number back then <laughs> and there was just a lot of pressure to get it right so I would I would always feel like the bigger the set became and the thicker the book looked <laughs> it, it almost became like okay I can't really stuff this up because I don't want to get down to page mm. 84 and realize oh no I put the wrong piece there I have to now disassemble everything mm. then that versed me to when originally where I would disassemble when I finished building it, then reassemble it again. I would just simply reassemble assemble it, mm-hmm. and then I would just place it on like a pedestal or whatever, and just uh, never touch it again. Uh, so the more complicated it got, the more precious I was with it. Yeah, and I think that's nice because in in the sense for us when we're studying architecture, one line makes a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, one, 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 line, one line, one shade. One shade. Um, if the thickness of one line adds more outstands more than the other ones, then the materiality. Exactly. <laughs> And especially if you do it in drawings and you're hand drawing everything and you make one little mistake that you can't erase, then yeah, you're essentially, your mind wants you to restart it again. I know. First year. Because that OCD kicks in. First year was hard for me. Because first year, first semester, my tutor did not allow us to use, we're not allowed to use computers. So it was fine for me because I've never touched Illustrator before. Mm -hmm. I think the only time I did was in work experience, but I wasn't really using that to type text stuff. (laughs) And so it was a shock for me because I never did VizCon. So okay. I didn't know how to use a T-square. I didn't know how to use like the right angle protractors. So this whole new tool set, this is a whole 
holding foreign language. Very foreign. In our previous conversation with Bella, I told her, saying that when I was first told to join Elevation, I thought Elevation was what you see on one side. So I thought, okay, does that mean it's this much? Not the whole wall? So like very tunnel vision. And the funniest thing was, it was my mom who taught me how to use these tools. Oh, really? She's not even in this field. She's always been drawn to arts and all, but it was a hobby for her, not really a a profession. Yeah, somehow I turned this as a hobby to my profession now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super interesting. In the sense that you're coming from a background where, where it wasn't necessarily a rigorous training re- regime. Yeah. Like you didn't know how to use T-squares. You didn't do viscom, so T-squares, ruler on the table that slides up and down. Yeah, yeah. And getting measurements exactly right was yeah. all new to you, yeah. It was very new. Yeah. And oh. I've never drawn like plans and such for myself before because I mostly did draw people back then because before architecture I wanted to go into fashion because mm. I thought that was the only thing I was good at. And so it was a very huge change for me when I went into architecture not realising that there was a lot more. But then if you think about it, I don't think anybody knew what architecture really was. Oh yeah, no way. I always thought coming into architecture that from the get-go I would be drawing, I would be drawing buildings. I wouldn't be... Or like very rigorous and then this line has to be that long with mm-hmm. this amount of measurements in there mm-hmm. and then when you finally get into architecture especially when we went to it was it was so different from what mm. we actually thought it was mm. learning about space yeah which is such a i mean it's, it's such a simple concept space the idea how someone <laughs> occupies a space and yeah. how it makes them feel but like you never really think about that and then when you're in it you're like oh actually this is quite an important thing in architecture it is we very yeah i was pleasantly surprised when one of my friends she's now doing architecture and the thing that's caught me by surprise was when she said the reason why she got into architecture was because she's always been very sensitive to space and you rarely hear that yeah from people <laughs> going to architecture so i was really happy to hear that at the that, same yeah. time where did that thought come from yeah when i think of architecture back then i was always thinking windows doors how the facade looks like is it a nice looking facade yeah yeah. The materiality. Yeah. I was thinking very stock standard things. Like things like any one person would walk into a building and be like, oh yeah, this is a nice floor. It's made out of pine wood. I never thought of that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought of that. I, I was very stock standard in that sense. And then, oh. But yeah, to think that, oh hey, oh, this space is really nice. Like what makes a space nice exactly? And that's the things we learned in like first year yeah it's a culmination of things if you think about it yeah like, right yeah like materiality light, light plays a massive role in how it makes a space look it's natural so versus uh, artificial but the warm lighting the cool lighting fluorescent lighting yeah and then that's when that's when you know first year became merged into second third and even masters is when it all started coming together and you had to deal with all these sort of different things and mm. still try to come out with a project Mm. far different from like lego where it was just put this together and you're done so last year you, i told you about this last year was the first time where i finally bought lego after yep. such a long hiatus even then like back then when i got lego it was presents right never really bought anything for myself i just remember i love fossils so I, mom and i were so excited when we saw like the lego fossils out on display we both just ran to it and despite not having any place to put it in my house <laughs> right now <laughs> 
you bought it on impulse. Yeah, yeah I bought it sure. on impulse, and it was nice. It was like my little boxing day downtime. Just spent the whole hour while watching dramas and just piecing them together. Piece yeah, it's it's piece. it's Lego is very peaceful it in is. a sense. It's calming. Yeah, that you can just put something on in the background, a, a video or a podcast or whatever, and you just build something. I know, and it's so calming reading the instructions. Yeah, how simple they are. <laughs> And how nice it's all laid out. Like those people that do the whole manual for those things, they're, mm. they're very smart in the way they do it, in the way they sort of the iconography of it. Actually, now that we're talking about Lego and the people, because I remember when I was making building the fossils, there was one section dedicated to the people who created the Lego. I really appreciate it yeah. when they do that. Okay, it's really important to credit, give people. It's a, credit. it's a finally a shout out to those people that actually. There's actually a lot of work that goes into it. I that, know. I guess when you're younger, you do not think about that. You're no. just thinking, oh yeah, these people just put like pictures of a block in there and then they place an arrow saying this connects to that. <laughs> but no, it's much more complicated than that and like how you build this thing. Even like, coming up with new pieces like my Lego had the joints, right? The spoolies, then oh, you yeah. have your connectors and the ball joints and you're thinking, where did you think of these things? To be honest, I've when I was building the Lego the whole time, I was thinking, has there been an architect who has worked for Lego? There, there would be. I am sure. I am more than positive there is someone that has probably graduated their bachelor's or master's yeah. and just applied. Like, I they sh- knew they weren't probably going to do any building or whatever. They were <laughs> like, just like, I want to work for Lego. I don't know if Big has... Like, has worked, like, because he has used Lego as for his models, yeah, he right? Has. But anyways, I would love to know whether he has created some of those Lego pieces. Even Lego architecture, right? The yep, yep. series, you, did you buy? Yeah, I have, a, I, have a, I have a whole bunch of them, yeah, from, like, London all the way to, like, Shanghai. <gasps> I have a whole city, the whole city. Uh, you have to show me a collection sometime. <laughs> it's oh. really cool. It's really cool. It's like, and it's cute. It's really cute. Yeah. I quite like it. How they build this whole sort of cityscape of all these very famous buildings in each city. And yeah, it just looks adorable when they're all put together. Oh, yeah, because I want to know whether it was a bunch of architects who designed those houses. Yeah, that's the thing I want to know or too. Or is it engineers? Or is it because, if you think about it, now you've got a lot of 3D programs. So you've got SketchUp. 3D Max, Rhino, Revit, Archicad, you named a lot. And you're wondering, is it because you can replicate through those 3D models that also assists you in creating the Lego version? Sort of the Lego version, yeah. I'm not too sure. What what I find fascinating is pieces that we find in our typical Lego set. How if you can maybe place them in a certain way in those miniature Lego architecture ones, Mm. then they start to look like windows or whatever Mm. for that building. But when it's by itself, it doesn't look nothing like a window. So Mm. I'm like wondering how like, do they know this going in on hand or do are they sifting through thousands of pieces being like oh yeah if you put this and this together it starts to look like a window yeah because what surprises me is that index of all the layer pieces yeah oh yeah they have an index at the end index like how many pieces, pieces are there supposed to be in the box it's yeah. so overwhelming yeah <laughs> it's so overwhelming sometimes like because they give you spare pieces because I keep thinking did I miss some structure because yeah, I'm pretty sure I followed everything to the T yes you have a full methodology of like okay I'm gonna before I start building anything it says I need these x pieces I'm gonna grab all these x pieces and then I'll build but then you're left with like maybe four or five and yeah I get what you feel it's sort of that feeling of incomplete like okay I know I missed something didn't I yeah and I wish they actually stated there are some spare pieces or is it this more like an easter egg where each box has different spare pieces 
that is different from different people. <laughs> so it's like, I'm missing one piece. Can I please trade? Or do you collect all these spare parts yeah, and then yeah, it I'm becomes sure. a surprise model? It's kind of like a deal where like you buy a hundred of the same set yeah, yeah. and you have all like a hundred X amount of spare pieces and then you can get a whole new set for free. I know. So I... buy 100, get one free. Yeah, it's incredible. I always wonder. I, I'm not sure. Maybe it could be just a mechanical issue and when the machines are putting all in the boxes and everything and just you get spare pieces. Yeah. But it always bothers me. I have a bag full of spare parts from all the Lego pieces oh, from you don't architecture. Put them. I don't put them in separate. Oh separate. no, I keep them in the boxes. <laughs> so, so then it's all like this is specifically for this model, right? Because the boxes are so pretty as well. Like see yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. the way they 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 take the photo of it and the way they lay it out is quite nice. Their marketing is so good. It's yeah, so Lego good. really knows how to like. <laughs> they're they're so meticulous in every single aspect. I'm jealous, and I'm just I'm I'm in wonderment, just like how. Yeah. Like, how many people? it takes actually speaking of meticulousness do you think lego has influenced you in terms of your architecture methods so not just saying your design and or has it influenced in the way you handle things building things in this oh that's a tough question <laughs> uh, in, in my first years yeah it did when everyone thinks of lego you would always think it's more it's a form-based method like it's like what it looks like mm. not necessarily what it feels like Oh, good point, good point. So my first and even in second year, I would always be like, okay, my building has to look good rather than what I would think of the space inside. And even though we learn about space, it will always become, I have Form years of, yeah, because I have years of building Lego and then I get into it. So it's sort of hard to break the habit or reverse the habit. And there's nothing with form follows function. Yeah. But obviously you want to be, you know, interchanged between the two. Oh. So yeah, at the start it was always, you build Lego and it's always about, oh, it looks very pretty. Yeah. And that would be me when I would design anything in my first or second year. It's like, this building I've designed looks very pretty. But oh. if you looked at the plans, you're like, oh, what's this mess? Yeah, actually, now that you've mentioned it, so I relied a little bit on Lego when I was doing my project, so second semester, first year. So remember when we had to build that house on that site? In oh, yep, yep. The it's, annoying yep. site with the five-member family? Oh, yeah, and they had the train station, and each family member had something particular about yeah. them they liked. That would I the struggled space. with that so much. Back then, we were all stuck in a very similar mindset that what we have to design is pretty, because... It always felt like crits or the tutors are always drawn to things that are well presented. Yeah. Like who a... doesn't like well presented Yeah, stuff? exactly. Yeah. So that kind of gave us that pressure that everything we have to design looked needed to look pretty, right? And so for me, the Lego part was good in assisting like, okay, then I want to draw, I can put this to indicate the program for this area and that program will mm. itself manifest. So that project, I think I went through so many iterations. I was so proud of myself that I had a photo that compiled every okay so every your portfolio is there just a bunch of photos of legos yeah it was a bunch of photos of legos and i was stacking them rearranging them in different ways to a point where my tutor just said look i think you're starting to get too carried up in the form just put where your programs need to be the thing was it was very hard because the program that i wanted to do the form needed to carry that and so okay it was very hard for me to distinguish the rooms placing rooms spatial arrangement was very hard for 
me to grapple with yep, yep. to work nicely with the font. Yeah, because since each program is so different, mm. especially with this project we had, mm. each form would be so different. And mm. then you put two forms that are different and yeah. it doesn't look cohesive. Yeah, and you just want to make a narrative make sense. Because... Yeah, exactly. So I... you're a kind of opposite. You're doing function follows form, but then in the end of the day, you would fear of being roasted for saying, this doesn't look nice. Although surprisingly, it, I did okay in the end. Oh, did you? Nice. I did okay. Just not okay in terms of my sanity. I was on two hours of sleep that day. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Listen, first year architecture, that's a big surprise. That was the only time I ever did my semi-all-nighter and I never did it again. It's not healthy. It's, no, it's, it's not, not healthy at all. <laughs> I still do that from time to time. So bad. Oh, for sure. It's just that, you know, you have to admit, a lot of architects kind of like self-inflicting pain. Because you wouldn't stay in, like, in my opinion, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily stay throughout your duration in this profession without being somewhat... Self-deprecating? Yeah. Self-detrimental? Yeah. Especially with masters. There'd be times where I would get maybe eight hours of sleep really good, and I would I would wake up in the morning, and I'd feel physically good, but mentally I'd be like, did I do enough work? Okay, now I can can understand where you're coming about the comparison and then the you would go to uni and then you would see people still there from the last night and then you ask them oh did you stay here and then they were like yes and then you start to wonder oh maybe i didn't do enough work that's the thing do you think because there's a recent culture about toxic bragging right yes yes, yes. oh yeah i have a mate that's always just like oh i only got two hours of sleep last month and i always wonder myself do you want me to sympathize or do you want to be congratulated i i don't understand where where what you want me to go with this conversation yeah and that's that doesn't sit well with me even <laughs> i'm just looking at you i'm like yeah two hours of sleep to get more sleep and then yeah. you're of tight if yeah. you go to care i only had two hours of sleep and all. i'm thinking yes on some days i can tolerate you saying that but if you're going to make this repetitive if this is a weekly thing <laughs> then no, no. <laughs> don't please just go to sleep you need sleep i don't understand how you could do 22 hours of worth of work yeah and get two hours then technically on the next day yeah. you should be able to get more sleep because you did 22 hours straight of work no it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> work like that your body does not work like exactly. that exactly and then uh, this yeah i know what you mean <laughs> by this culture of toxic bragging i don't like it and that's why i never necessarily always mention when i only have like three hours of sleep I just because i only make you say it so yeah i only I, make you say it when i notice you only force some people to say it because you want them to admit like okay you need to get some sleep because you know when you say things out loud that's when you realize oh yeah that's probably not the healthiest thing mm -hmm. that was the whole idea of I'm not feeling necessarily worthy or I didn't do enough work yep. if I got a full full rest just sort of it's, it's very bad I don't know if it's the right way of saying it but it's very similar to survivor's guilt is that mm. the concept of where like if things, something terrible happens but you're the only survivor left yeah that and survivor's guilt and it's a why. little bit like that because I do the same thing I'm thinking do I did I put enough hours yeah and I get but you still not saying I'm bragging here on purpose, but then you have people who say, but you've done so much work. So here's the thing. Is it quantity versus quality and then quality versus quantity? <laughs> do you uh, understand where I'm coming from? You'd rather do a quality four hours straight of work than do a quantity of maybe eight hours. In the end of the day, present your eight hour work to your tutor and mm. they could just be like, it looks like you did this in two hours. And that's like the biggest blow yeah. to anyone. I've had it said to me, and I'm sure you've had it said to you, and I'm sure yeah. you've probably said it to a lot of other students as well. Mm. Where you would see someone's work 
you would ask them how long it would take them, and they said, "Oh, it took me all day." I generally don't like asking that question. <laughs> I don't like that question. Oh well, I'm mean. So. Oh no, I I can no, see yeah. why it's necessary to ask it sometimes, but I feel that if you don't, for me, because I was an assistant tutor, oh, if yeah, I didn't see that. them every time, I don't think I have the right to ask that. Whereas if you see something constantly and if you're gonna keep seeing the same thing. Oh yeah, yeah. That's when I think you can. I ask would say it. it to my peers that I was working with studio last year yeah when I would see their work pretty much every week yeah and I understand the progression and how long it would take but yeah I believe it's always quality over quantity especially in architecture because you never want to continuously backtrack just to improve the quality you want the quality to be straight up 100% mm. then backtrack because you want, you're rethinking the design you're rethinking the concept you're not rethinking oh it's just a bad drawing I have to redo it again I think it's also with that self-satisfaction the funniest thing that ever happened to me was on the day of my penultimate for masters I was ready to present without a model because I just wasn't confident in myself but then somehow was completely fine but my body decides to wake me up two hours before my alarm and said you need to make a model <laughs> <laughs> so my dad found me in the backyard at like 6am in the morning cutting plants <laughs> and like getting branches and then like went back to room rushed and make really simple models which ultimately i felt really good about although i was a bit annoyed yeah yeah why, why is your body forcing you to do this have you had those cases yourself? yeah i would i would always especially last year i would always come up with a set of drawings be like oh no i forgot maybe a section but i need my sleep i need at least six hours then i would wake up four hours later and be like oh no i gotta do this section it's really hard it took me five years of my study to finally let it go where you don't have to have every single drawing. Yeah. So you don't have to have every single elevation section. That's it. Oh. And that took me ages to figure it out. Whereas some people already got it straight away from first year. So the reason why that day I was on two hours of sleep for my mid-semester presentation was I was following the brief to the T. You were I, a completionist. Yeah, I yeah. just felt like no matter what I had to get everything done I think I was more of a quantity or quality person back then because I was like the more the information I could give then the better feedback I can get that was my type of mindset that I had so in studio classes it was unfortunate we never got to be in the same studio groups yeah because we never necessarily got to see each other how how we would present or also like the work we would show on yeah a weekly basis i always produce a mass amount of drafts yeah yeah because i felt i've seen your folios oh yeah <laughs> about Docklands, right yeah yeah that was a that was that that folio that guy who bind up my book was saying i really hate you so much right it was so it was it was massively thick and my folio I thought it was sizable at like 50 pages double sided so 100 yeah. pages yeah. but when I saw your one and all the sketches as well in it so there's a different paper thickness different textures and everything well this is what happens oh, when you take tense. things literally okay <laughs> the tutor's like oh yeah have your main folio and your progress folio so your progress folio you put everything in there i'm thinking are you yeah sure that's about this the amount of paper i use does not environmentally friendly yeah. <laughs> in a sense listen if they tell you to do that in like masters like no way <laughs> no, i am not fitting all my sketches no. into one folio because no. that is impossible and printing was and still is <laughs> So, it's just gotten more expensive. <laughs> so 
so very happy that I've managed to let that go after second yeah. year. Second year was afterwards I wisened up after that infamous It's falling. um yeah, now now the challenge is how can I convey all the information I did in the semester and really sort of compress it into yeah. a folio but still make sense without having to like really shrink the images. And be able to prove that you have changed and improved over yeah, the Yeah, exactly. That's the main challenge for us back then where we wanted to prove to ourselves because then I thought the only way to show that I have improved a lot is via chucking every single thing in so then you can see the small changes in the progress but it turns out they don't really need that. And even logistically your tutor probably didn't go through 200 pages. No, I've actually seen one of my tutors going through follow back then. I remember walking past her. It's just like one second thing and she's done. <laughs> You're like, well, she they have has... so many to, co- to correct. Yeah. And assuming you've been to their class, you that you've went, attended the class, so they kind of know where you're at. So yeah, follow in a sense is it's just showing that here's the work I've done in the semester. Yeah, and you can't really lie to. I love the follow because I I've always liked putting things together. So in high school, I art was my favorite subject because it mm-hmm. was my downtime because I always dedicate Friday night where I'll just play a TV show in the study and I would just be spending hours and hours on my folio because it was so fun just I loved looking back at all my parts or be able to document my thoughts and just do that okay follow is the only thing I don't mind pulling an all-nighter for because I get so excited seeing all the things that I've Yeah, no, folio is, yeah, for sure. Folio is just like a highlight reel of like looking what you did in this in the semester. I had fun doing my folio for my last, my last really? studio. Really? That's so good. So, yeah, seeing like the work I produced in first week and be like, oh, wow, that looks so bad. And then <laughs> going to week 13 and being like, oh, wow, this is that, that I didn't realize I could get from there to here. Did and you- yeah. Did you do your folio last minute or do you do that I did it throughout the week? I did it, I did it last minute, last week. So in the last week before <gasps> it was due, I did it. How could you? Yeah, you know, it wasn't the it wasn't the best idea. Uh, hopefully I will actually commit to being doing a folio weekly. Especially with the amount of sketches you do in, in masters nowadays. Mm. I don't know know about even in bachelors Mm. but um because I didn't do many sketches in bachelors I would always maybe do a few sketches but then produce a good sketch per se I think it's because it's your way of working so you're somebody I feel that from our experiences together in a group as well like in a group you're more meticulous in your thoughts so you carefully plan out your thoughts yeah again going back to I don't know if it's because it's Lego's influence where the tiny pieces makes you more meticulous right oh, yeah. for me I get too hyper so are you I, gun ho it you're just like yeah you I, draw out I get so excited because when I start an idea back then I used to have a pad of sticky notes by my bedside table because when I get so excited I can't sleep so I'll just end up writing a lot of sticky notes <laughs> <laughs> and just keep producing ideas and I would just have a lot that I want to go blah at once right but it took me a while to start slowly narrowing my points and all it was when I had to do the furniture workshop in second year where a tutor that I had he's very pragmatic that helped me slowly tame the way I approach my stuff okay, as well yeah. to make it more approachable mm. I know what you mean Mm. So what you're saying is you would have from the get go you would have a bunch of stuff. Yeah. But it was very hard for you to sort of narrow down on. It on, is because you on what you want. I have so many things that I want to do where 
I just want to put mesh everything together or I love immersing myself in other things besides art and design so like science maths and yeah such. and you want to try and make that an influence in your architecture yeah, yeah you want, your design yeah. you want to find a niche for yourself yeah right? and so at that point I thought my best way of doing it was to show that I'm somebody who just loves branching out to different types of fields to show that I really care about people I'm designing for or working for at it, least I guess the negative part is that it becomes very overwhelming very quickly oh it does Hence because you would have so much research. to do and then just to be like alright it's all condensed into this one building or one design then yeah yeah it might get lost in translation when you're presenting it to, to someone out there that's true I don't know what you mean so because you're still yet to finish your masters having cheated last year you forget the standards that you had when you first started <laughs> now. yeah 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 do you find that yeah uh, I, I suppose back then well obviously with anything that requires practice mm. when you look when you first started and when you look when you look to where you are now you would always see oh is that the only work i would produce when i first started it mm. seems so I don't want to say weak, but it seems so small in comparison to what I can do now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, sort of critting last year for first years. It was an experience in the sense that, you know, okay, so these are the things they came up with. And, you know, I don't want to be mean, but to me it would look very... Simple. Simple. But then you would think again, it's like, oh, maybe I was like that. It takes some time. Yeah. I find that when I ask myself whether I've learned anything from that semester, because I'm pretty sure you get asked that a lot as well. Yeah. Like, what did you think you learned from the semester? And for me personally, I find that I only realize the things that I've learned until I start something new. So I would be doing something, I'm thinking, hold on, last semester they had an advice on this. Now I can apply it to my um, design. I know what you mean. Yeah, I'm the same way in the sense, mm -hmm. but it takes a lot longer for me to realize that I have learned stuff. <laughs> Really? So like throughout my entire bachelor's, I honestly thought I did not learn a thing. Seriously? Besides, I would build up a course over three years mm -hmm. of technical skills and everything. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, I would think, did I really learn anything? Because the progression isn't slow per se, mm. but it's so long that you kind of forget to look back on yourself and be like, oh wait, I did not know this when I was in first year. Mm. So then when I started critting last year against first years, I was like, when, that's when I realized, oh wow, actually I've learned so much, mm. especially with like simple things things when one of the students would say oh I don't know not too sure how I would place this mm -hmm. and in your head it's quite a simple solution where you just tell them oh yeah why not place like this so this and this mm -hmm. all mix up and they're like oh yeah that makes sense thank mm -hmm. you then you realize to yourself oh wow that just sort of it's like second nature to me to come up with that solution yeah it's taken us a long time yeah. to <laughs> that I... we've grown that's the thing about architecture that's so learning it is so interesting over a course mm -hmm. of five years or so even communication as well because I think that what I really enjoyed back then in this bachelor's was when I was able to mentor somebody and just be able to share my experiences and ideas with them and hear theirs. It's nice to have that exchange of ideas, which I think is really important. Oh yeah, well. for sure. Especially in this field of work. Yeah. And I would love to see more of that in the future. However, it's still a very slow way of building things up at the moment. Yep, yep. This idea of not necessarily thinking that you've done a lot or if you've learned you've learned a lot, then looking back and realize, wow, grown a lot. It takes a long time to build confidence. <laughs> I think uh, architecture to be able to do well in the field of architecture but then to do well in any field of design really it takes a lot of confidence yeah because I grew to become more paranoid in being a perfectionist as I grew in this in my studies and it was very hard for me to let go about comparing myself to others that's <laughs> that's hard that's the hardest thing comparing yourself constantly pitting yourself against others not saying that you're making enemies out of other people but it's more about how do you improve yourself and the only way 
back then for me it seemed like the only solution to prove myself is always looking at other people's work and be like I want to do that I want to do that's that I want to yeah, do that that's the thing though we would start off at the same stage mm-hmm. maybe with a very very little varying degrees of design mm-hmm. and then get up to maybe second year and then you see someone that looks that their work is so phenomenal mm-hmm. and you always wonder oh how do i how did they get there how do i get there and then you would ask them questions oh how did you do this how did you do that how did you think of that and that's good in a sense of collaboration and you're asking for help but it's also bad in a sense that you are comparing yourself definitely sometimes i look at people i feel a little bit more defeating when i see other people's works and they seem so much better in comparison to when i was in their <laughs> year especially <laughs> when they're younger than you oh yes oh like, some I'm, of those first years i was like how do you come up with this? i know they were beautiful i, I I was so happy to there see was no like yeah that. there was no way i could do this in my second or even third year and That's you're coming weird. up with this in your first year That's like good for you but i'm so jealous <laughs> i know i'm really <laughs> jealous as well i think we're envious yeah. of them envious is probably a better way to, to be at a stage it. of where they're at where they're yeah. thinking it's like oh wow i really respect them for them to be really bold and daring because i yeah. wasn't like that i no, didn't neither. have that neither was i yeah is it because the permission of how far you want to go that also makes you extend how far you want your imagination to be so given that back then when we were studying we were confined with the type of clients we had yeah whereas they get to choose who they want to design for yeah, they got to build their own sim, essentially. They got to build their own client. I think that does play a massive role in terms of how far we can go with our design. But I also think it's maybe the idea of, I don't want to necessarily shoot for the moon because I'm scared I'm going to fall mm. a long way down. So maybe if I just shoot halfway up, and if it's not that great, I won't fall too bad, and I can try something again. Yeah, I don't know if I thought of that. I think for me was I tried to be as realistic as I can when I was designing because it just felt like... Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, the parameters that we were in, they were super realistic. Like a family of five, you know, with a granddad and all their hobbies or their quirks were very realistic quirks. It wasn't like nothing it was essentially design a house i mean i think i would have to agree with our coordinator because the reason why he gave us those clients afterwards because he thought that ours were first yeah were the first client yeah the ones that we actually got to make yeah were, were born yeah but I, I disagree i thought my clients were, were you had a very good client one that was scared of the dark mm-hmm. and needed light but then one that was allergic to light mm-hmm. a form of albinism mm-hmm. and i thought those were interesting clients and the house i came up with was a super interesting house and it didn't want to look like a house <laughs> at all and that's why I was so downtrodden when he came up with our own clients. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, I suppose. I think what I regretted was that I didn't design a mermaid. <laughs> I really should have done it. It would have been super interesting. It would have been so good. But back then, my span of imagination and architecture wasn't very good. <laughs> and you're also just a bit, in my opinion, for me anyway, I'm also a bit scared mm. in a sense that I don't want to be so out there as mm. to then be judged by my peers for being a bit crazy. Is it caution or is it scared? Like, well, maybe it... it's caution. Okay. Because in the same way that there's not a lot of architects out there, or well, there's there are architects but not all of them want to design maybe a culture set or something that has to do with a culture that they're not necessarily a part of. That takes an immense courage yeah. as well as enough empathy and understanding. And an immense amount of research. And respect as well. And that's why a lot of architects don't ever tackle it because they're just cautious for the backlash or cautious in the sense that mm. perhaps they'll be told by others like, oh, we're part of this, can't design. That's true. But in a very same way, but very smaller scale, that was me in first year when mm. I didn't really want to design anything avant-garde. I don't want someone coming up to me and saying, that doesn't make any sense or aren't you tackling a bit too much? 
It's, it's those terms, I think, now that you've talked about your cautions and fears, it's similar to a conversation we had with our other friend. We'll hope to bring her on board next time. It's about the areas of critique or constructive criticism because our field, we have to rely on feedback yeah, and communication to improve. And so I think it's also that as well, our initial gripe with accepting what criticism is, like not seeing it as a negative thing, but more as it's part of... It's building blocks. It's yeah. something to always bounce off on. Especially, yeah, whoever starts architect, studying architecture, have a grasp on what actual critique is, is quite difficult. Because mm-hmm. the first thought you're going to have in your head is, oh, they hate. This is why they're saying all these things. Yeah. But it's not that they hate it. You can build on it, obviously. It's that thought of trying to switch it to, how can I do that? Yeah. I still know some people that are having a difficult time of trying trying to take that on. Really? Yeah, even in masters. Because in the end of the day, someone critiques your work. They're not critiquing you. They're not critiquing your personality. Mm-hmm. They're critiquing the work you've presented to them. It's hard, obviously, because mm-hmm. you've built a bond with the project you're designing, but you have to sort of separate yourself. It's not you mm. and the work. It's you separated from the work you've designed. Your personality is not in there. They're, mm. not, they're not judging you. Yeah. They're just judging your work. I think it took me a while to kind of scrapple with that. Yeah. I had a comment from my tutor. So it's the same studio, the Dockham's building, and I remember he said something to me, and it was such a huge shock for me because I knew he meant well, but it just came out in a very, very abrupt as well. Yep. Yep. It took me by surprise. What took a huge weight off my shoulders was when I read this quote, if they don't know you personally, don't take it personal. Exactly. So then here's my second question, like the overall thing, because I remember one of my classmates said this to me. I've written about it once. She commented about how she doesn't like to be personal with her projects. For me, I find sometimes I have a little bit of a struggle in terms of not being personal with things. I don't know if it's to do with a maturity issue or is it because it's a personality-based yep, thing yep. of how much you should put it yourself into it and that's something i struggle with do you struggle with that of course because <laughs> like <laughs> for me anyway when i do a project and i really get into it i really put my heart and soul into it yeah even though it's contradictory of what i said earlier <laughs> and obviously when someone says something bad about it you're just gonna be like oh okay guess i'm not that great oh no but then you have to always think no wait they're critiquing the work and yep, yes yep. i did put my heart and soul into it but again i can always put my heart and soul into it to resolve the critique they had yeah especially if it's a valid critique and here's the thing that like what your tutor said to you i think taking critique and giving critique there's a special ways. so when you're taking critique you have mm. to be careful like what we said can't take it personally mm-hmm. when you're giving critique you should also be wary of how you give it good point be very wary of how what you say Fearless respectful and have manners you can't just say like these stuff like it's bad and mm. just leave it at that Mm-mm. you have to be like oh it can improve and this is the way i think it improves over the years of like studying architecture i've realized like yeah there's some people out there that can't necessarily critique that well mm. and they mean no harm they're not attacking you person it's just that that's how they are with words yeah. though yeah so i guess then it comes down to making an initiative to also prompt that person to make, yeah. to make more things because i think what's really important in crit sometimes as well as as you as what you just said how do you take the criticism the feedback the constructive criticism as well as how you give the criticism but it's also making that good conversation to make the most out of two parties yeah them. yeah so like if there's some if there's a, a tutor that mm-hmm. just says it's bad don't just like leave it just ask them like, what what don't you like about it or yeah. what can i improve on yeah uh don't fight it yeah. don't be like oh it's not bad you're bad mm-hmm. don't ever fight a tutor during mm-hmm. a critique because that's just gonna lead nowhere 
Mm-hmm. But try to always ask them what I can improve on or what is they don't like about it. It depends on whether you're happy with it, and at the end of the day, you can always take it or leave it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the end of the day, there's no one. Not the whole world isn't going to love your project. You mm-hmm. can come up with the best project, and trust me, there's always going to be one person out there that doesn't like. It. As unfortunate as it is, we always tend to focus on that one person that doesn't like it. I know. Like you can post something on Facebook or Instagram, and you can always mm-hmm. have a hundred comments of people loving it. And there's that one comment that says, oh, this is a bad post or whatever, or a bad photo. And that's going to stick in your head. For And it, it sucks to have this sort of negative, one negative aspect that sticks in architecture. You just, you have to be like, okay, not everyone's going to love my project. But as long as you're proud of it, I think that's what matters. Good self-confidence. Yeah. And it takes a while for some of us. I really admire people who just are always very confident about everything they do. Please give me a lesson <laughs> on how to do that. I really do think it comes down to confidence and you have to build it over time. Yeah, definitely. And we can see through it. I think all of us are human and have <laughs> to be aware that if somebody is confident in your project, because ultimately, if you're not confident in it, it's not going to show. It comes out in your speech when you're not confident. Yeah, it does. Body language in particular. Like, I really think it's important if you look into people's eyes yeah. when you talk. That's the hardest part. I don't mind if you just look at the people who are going to be marking your work. Yeah. That's fine. But don't stare down at your phone. Oh, that gripes me. Yo, every time. Please do not present on your phones. Just please. Or don't read off a script. I, okay, I, I'm going to disagree with oh, you. Oh, really? I, I really, I don't like it when someone's looking at their notebook and just reading off a script. Oh. Um, like you might not like some of my <laughs> because I present mine in stories. So if I'm reading a story, so a few times where one of my friend and I we presented our project in a yep. commercial manner. So we had to speak like we were salespeople. Okay. So we each had like cue cards <laughs> to like quickly go through our speeches. But were you giving eye contact to the to the? To yeah, the you have to. Okay. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll I'll, I'll reiterate. I'll reiterate. <laughs> I don't like it when you have a book in your hand or just a piece of paper and you look so formal by just standing there and just looking down and just reading line for line and never uh, looking up okay 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 that makes more sense so essentially your head is head is yeah. down the whole so time. like for me personally when i when i when i present i yeah. would have my book with me and i would just have dot points and i would always just refer back to the dot points of the things i need to say mm. but i always look i would always look up to the audience or to my tutors or whatever yeah you have to i, I wouldn't make a full speech and just read it off that and mm. just never look up because yeah yeah every architect out there Mm-hmm. It's maybe, let's say, 70% good design. Yeah. And 30% trying to sell it. You're very confident in that statistics. I haven't been exposed to enough. There's too much architecture in this world for me to conceive. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, when you're talking to a client, it's, mm. you're, you're trying to sell your project to them. Or you're trying to convince them, oh, you have to spend this extra amount of money to get this really good extra quality of your house or your design. Or it's Insta-worthy. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I've realized throughout the years is that, oh, wow, okay, like, I always wonder. You have to be a good architect, but maybe you can be a subpar architect, but a really good speaker. And <laughs> will your project be better than someone that's a very good project, yeah. but they're not a very good speaker? Uh... I always wonder that because especially in crits uh, I've realized they don't necessarily fully look at your drawings yeah it's always like maybe a 50 50 of speech and drawings actually you have a good point because as much as drawings need to be really visually grappling 
like it's um your speech should also help support yeah even though i we do we do fall into the crime of us saying your drawing should support your speech i feel like it's always the other way around the more that i'm thinking about it just looking back at all my presentations it's always how i presented the speech whether i'm making the right cues at pointing to certain drawings yeah to do that and so <laughs> it's like yeah because it's not a competition of where you just present your competition board work Mm -hmm. And then you don't have to say anything. Mm -hmm. That's when the drawings, that's when they're 100%. Mm -hmm. When you're presenting your work to, to whoever, mm. you have to you have to speak well. Mm. And that is, a, it, it's hard for a lot of people out Telling there. a story is hard. It is extremely difficult. <laughs> it's, and then that's when, yeah, this whole idea, as you said previously, it's like building that confidence to get there. To know how to articulate well what you're trying to present. And do it confident. And you can't fake confidence. You can't, you can't hate your project and then fake your confidence in being why you think your project's the best. Do you think, though, I'm pretty sure oh. there's been a lot of people who doesn't like their project, but still somehow managed to make it somewhat work. Maybe out there, but me personally, I know that I have to love my project in order for me to speak about it confidently. That's true. I'm on the same page as you on that. I can't necessarily lie. I'm not a good, I'm not a good liar, or per se. Ugh, what's the right word? Persuading, persuading people. You're not the best at persuading people if you feel dishonest yeah. about it. If if the base of my project's not that great, then yeah. And I try to present it. I I, you can tell already. In my speech, <laughs> it's not, I don't like it. I guess we're still sheltered currently in oh, the yeah. field that we are in right oh, now. Oh yeah, for sure. And we've still got a lot to be exposed to. And yeah. perhaps one day we will have to do something like that where we just have to sell that confidence. Yeah, exactly. Despite. The circumstances. And hopefully that day never comes, but then it probably will. And we have to confront it. And when we do, I, I really like to hope that I've you know, we have built over the years that confidence in speaking to the public. Speaking to clients. Because it is difficult. It is very, very difficult. <laughs> Especially when you're sort of an introverted person. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Just to close things off, as always, do you have anything else you'd like to conclude for this session? Lego, with pun intended, has built up a lot in our architecture field. Good pun. Um, no, yeah, um, for those out there who see Lego as sort of this creative outlet and want to build onto it, yeah, architecture is a great platform, but not just only architecture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, communication design, mm -hmm. fashion. Mm -hmm. If you if there's any toys out there that have you've drawn inspiration from and to get into the field you want to be in, mm. or any toys you qu quite like, uh, you want to draw inspiration from, and then then yeah, by all means, go ahead, buy a, buy some Legos. Just be proud of what you yeah. like. Just don't, don't hide it. That's yeah. Thing. Don't ever think that you know Legos are just for kids. And even though it got you into architecture, or interested into architecture, <laughs> you don't want to say it. <laughs> no, be proud of it. There's so many people out there that only got into architecture because of Legos what Danny said last time she did say somebody got into architecture because of the sims so yeah, exactly you can yeah. always find inspiration in the smallest places and that's what's so lovely about you know these these creative outlets of like perfect these creative professions mm. is that inspiration can be drawn from literally anywhere mm -hmm. and I think that's wonderful and you should be proud of where you draw your inspiration from no matter where it's from yeah, that's a nice way to close things off. Anyhow, thanks again for today. Boys. And hopefully I will have you back again sometime because there's plenty of other things we can talk about. Awesome. Okay, thank you.